Lent began on Wednesday, February 17th, and continues all the way to Easter. Traditionally in the church, it's a time of preparation, a time actually to go deeper with God. It's a time to reflect on God's grace, to repent of our sin, and to recommit. Jesus himself said during the Sermon on the Mount, his longest uh, recorded sermon in Matthew 5, he said this, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. To be quite honest, sometimes life gets really complicated. Sometimes we get busy even doing really, really good things. And there's a time in the calendar where you might be able to slow down, that you might be able to listen better so that you might see God. Oh, if there's ever a time to see God, it would be what he did on the cross for each one of us, how he was risen from the dead so that each one of us might not only experience abundant life now, but eternal life. And some of us have been in the church a long time. And we have forgotten. Or it's not as important. Or maybe the story is just old. Maybe, even now, as we come toward well, a great celebration on Easter, you'll take time to listen and to be encouraged. Let's pray. Father, we pause. We pause and, and we've been praying for this celebration time for a long time. We've been on our knees seeking your face and asking you to do a mighty and a powerful work here this morning, dear God. And you've met with us, and we've been able to magnify you and praise you. Almighty God, creator, sustainer, all-powerful Father, you, Lord, are a compassionate and a gracious God. You are slow to anger, abounding in love and faithful. You're really faithful. We gather here to worship, to celebrate you. You have worked mightily and continue to work uniquely and powerfully. We're so dependent on you, Father. Actually, for everything. There's a fullness of joy in your presence. And so, Lord, we, we know it's important for us to be clean we confess our sin, our rebelliousness, our thoughts, 
our selfishness. The things, Lord, that maybe have throttled or blinded us to see you. Help us focus, Father. Help us listen today. We know you are working. We know you're actively teaching and guiding us. We are grateful for your faithfulness. But we ask that you would do something special even this morning. Inspire us. Convict us. Change us through your word. Give us the boldness to be witnesses like the early church, not necessarily in Judea and Samaria, but, but maybe Fox Lake and Lake County. We pray for the church, Lord. Three churches come to mind this morning, especially New Hope and Meadowland and Redemption, Father. We know, God, that they are presenting your word today. We know that the flock is listening, and we know that they're part of your army. Folks, you've asked to magnify you. So we pray for these churches. We pray for our church. And we pray today, God, that you would again do something so amazing that when we leave, we know you did it. We pray these things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. 120 gathered. And they waited, and nobody could imagine what happened on that day. If you're sharp, you're saying, Rick, you have just about started every message this way. Yeah, I have. I get stuck on intros, and I don't even know where to go. But, but the truth is, I am so amazed. 120 people listening to Jesus, waiting there, not for a day or two, but 10 days. And then that Holy Spirit came. It came with a mighty sound. It came in flames of fire. And the Spirit took residence in those believers. Acts 2.42 began there were gatherings of believers where they would listen to teaching and experience fellowship and enjoy meals and to pray. And there was family. But the enemy was at work. And if you've been with us in our study, as we kind of meander, meander through Acts, you see that God's plan couldn't be thwarted. N no matter what hypocrisy and dishonesty arose, but these sins were judged. They were taken care of. There was conflict within, but there was resolve. And the church kept advancing. Then last week, <laughs> it shocked the church again. But there was a violent death of one of its leaders, and Stephen was stoned. At first glance, Stephen's death may seem pointless. A promising career cut short. Why was it necessary that someone so gifted, so bold, 
so on fire for God, well, have such a brief ministry. Furthermore, his ministry seemed to end in failure. He was killed as a heretic, which encouraged the church to literally split up. But God used this tragedy to further the kingdom. Last week, the focus was on Stephen. But this week, it's on another deacon, and his name is Philip. These leaders, well, they weren't the apostles. They were normal men in the church. And they actually take up a good chunk of the book of Acts, two full chapters plus. I love it. I love it. These well-respected men filled with the Spirit and wisdom, and they made a huge kingdom impact. It's the ordinary spreading the extraordinary message of Jesus. Now, last week, we ended with Saul kicking down the doors and arresting believers and putting them in prison. So turn with me to Acts chapter 8. We're going to reread verse 1 and go through verse 4. But Acts chapter 8 Verse 1. It's on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bibles with you. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. And then verse 4. Verse 4. But, but, the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. The church that was split up, the church that was being persecuted, the church literally sent out believers everywhere, especially in the parts of Judea and Samaria. And they preached about Jesus. It was normal It was natural. Although, again, this transformation is still rather new in this church. The Holy Spirit living in believers was rather new. They just talked about Jesus. Perhaps it was on the road. Many people were traveling, and they saw these throngs of people leaving Jerusalem. And they would talk to folks on the road. Maybe they were looking for new homes. Maybe in the marketplace. Or probably in the synagogue because that's where they often went. But this was a new norm. A natural conversation about one who literally changed their life. Let me say that again. It was a natural conversation about somebody who naturally changed their life. 
They weren't preaching at them. They were telling them about the promised Messiah who had come in order to give them life. They preached the good news about Jesus naturally. You just got to stop right there. Because although some of us feel evangelism is not a gift, that's true. A relationship with Jesus is real. And each one of us have an opportunity wherever God sends us, in the workplace, across the fence, wherever we go to be able to share people with people about the hope that's in your heart. These guys got it, and they were preaching. Look at verse 5. Acts chapter 8, verse 5. Philip, for example... In other words, believers are doing this. So Dr. Luke just said, hey, I I think I'm going to give you an illustration. There's a guy named Philip. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people that there, or, or told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and to see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Jump down to verse 12. But now the people believe Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. The scriptures tell us, for example, that Philip went to Samaria. My question is this, and some of you know this. Did he know any better? Didn't he understand that, like, Samaria should be off limits? Did Philip know the history there? Well, like, what was wrong with him? At one time, just so we can understand why the Samaritans were so despised by the Jews, years before this, some rebellious Jews, some Jews that weren't walking with God, intermarried with the despised Gentiles. They actually established their own temple, and it was a rival to the one in Jerusalem. It would be no exaggeration to say that the Jews hated the Samaritans as idolatrous half-breeds, ethically polluted, religiously confused, and morally debased. This prejudice ran deep. And if we could almost put a little spin on it, it was way worse than the Hatfields and the McCoys. All right? Most Jews would not risk uncleanliness by literally stepping foot on Samaritan soil. And if they did, they would have never expected a warm welcome there if they did. Now let me say this. None of this bad blood deterred Philip because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me say it a different way. 
Nothing of this bad blood deterred Philip because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, something changes when we listen to God. Even deep prejudices seem to disappear. No one tells us about Philip's fear at this moment. Maybe he thought God was a little bit odd in sending him there. But God has a missionary heart that beats for the whole world. He doesn't see half-breeds or Gentiles. He sees lost people in need of rescue. Now, sadly, it's not recorded that any of the early believers entered Samaria with the gospel, well, until persecution forced the church out of its comfort zone. God used pain to accomplish his plan. Nevertheless, Philip shared hope with these despised people. Now, just as, I I guess, surprising to me was the great response by the Samaritans. There was a revival. There was fruit. God's word was going out, and people were responding The scripture tells us that crowds listened intently. They were eager to hear the message and to see the miraculous signs. God validated Philip's teaching and the people responded in droves. Philip brought God's physical and spiritual healing to a lost people. He preached the gospel The good news, the Messiah had come and he pointed them toward the resurrected Jesus. And they responded and embraced Jesus as Messiah. Now as an outward symbol of their belief, the believers submitted to baptism. They knew that this was the next step perhaps in their spiritual journey. They wanted to be able to publicly proclaim that they were Jesus' followers. And so they were dunked. The result? There was great joy in the city. Nobody expected it. But joy happens when God heals and gives life. Now this story only gets better. This is a great chapter. I know some of you say, well, Rick, you say that about all these chapters, but this is a good one, all right? Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, honestly, if you just stop there, that had to blow them away. Like maybe they rubbed their eyes, maybe they used Q-tips to clean out their ears. Something was really odd. Now, wait, wait a minute. Are you telling me, like, people are responding in Samaria? <laughs> Look at this. So they sent Peter and John, the two big Jesus. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. 
The church hears about the revival. They send their two main leaders, try to check this thing out. Like, we can't believe this really happened. They prayed for the believers to receive the Spirit, the same Spirit that the Jews had at Pentecost. Again, some of you are saying, hey, wait a minute. I thought believers just automatically were indwelled by the Spirit. Well, this is not the normal protocol. Over and over again, you'll hear me as we teach through Acts, you're going to hear me say Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive. It's describing what's happening. And that's important. The Scriptures are clear that the Spirit indwells every believer when they come to faith. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, the Apostle Paul there says, he, you were all baptized by the Spirit into one body. Now let me also remind you as we go through this book, we're going to be talking about being filled with the Spirit and controlled by the Spirit. And the the thing we have to understand is at salvation, today, when you come to faith, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. Now, the Holy Spirit can control you if you are obedient. If you live a life where when you sin, you confess your sin. Because God cannot affect a person who is living in sin. So, what we see is as people are indwelt by the Spirit, and they listen and are obedient to the Spirit, God's fruit happens, and they respond to God in a very natural and a normal way. Now, this is a really big deal. In chapter 8, what we're hearing is God is making a bold statement. And the statement is this, all are welcome. Jews, you knew you were welcome. And it happened back there in Acts chapter 2. But what I want you to hear, the Samaritans, those folks that you consider half-breeds, they are also welcome. And I need to make this really, really clear to the church and to everybody. The gospel going to the Samaritans was appalling to the Jew. But God knew that the kingdom had come and that there was a paradigm shift and there was a new way of thinking and a reality. Samaritans were being admitted into the kingdom. And it was undeniable and irrefutable because the same Holy Spirit that was given to the Jews is now given to the Samaritans. So the apostles witnessed the Samaritans receiving the Holy Spirit. They heard about them coming to faith. They came down and saw this. And I think the Lord delayed the falling of the Holy Spirit actually for the apostles' benefit to assure them that God had accepted the Samaritans' belief, making them full-fledged brothers and sisters in the kingdom. And to some Jews, it would have made them throw up. (laughs) But these leaders of the church, Peter and John, had seen the same thing happen in Pentecost just weeks before. Now they saw it 
in Samaria. And as I said, this story gets better. Look at verse 25. Verse 25. After testifying, this is Peter and John, in preaching the word of God or the Lord in Samaria. Now you got to stop there. I am just telling you, Peter and John would have never thought this was going to happen. They wouldn't want to be there, and much less, why would they be giving the gospel there? Why would they be telling these Samaritans? Well, Philip listened. Philip went ahead. Peter and John saw this with their own eyes. Transformation was happening. Happening. And so they continued testifying about who God was, how he changed lives, and preaching the word of the Lord. Now this is even more amazing. Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. If you write in your Bible, circle that and say, this is a Red Sea experience. These guys would have never done it. God's changing them. That is the mark of walking with God. Changes us. Helps us love people we might even despise. This was so exciting in this early church. Peter and John were testifying. They were preaching. And let me even say this, because it's not mentioned. I believe Philip, the normal guy, the deacon who was walking with God and was full of wisdom, influenced these leaders. How cool is that? On the way home, they stopped at many Samaritan villages. The paradigm shift was gaining momentum. Now, let's face it again, they didn't have internet and they didn't have some of the benefits that we have today, but I bet the news spread. So in Samaria, there was this revival going on and people again would go in different places and folks in Samaria were hearing, hey, you aren't going to believe this, but people are turning to God. The Messiah is here. And perhaps all this happened because of one obedient deacon. Now, you may have noticed I skipped some verses. And it's just one of those things where realistically, um, for us to focus on every verse and every text, um, this series would perhaps take longer than you'd hope. So what I'm going to say this is that there is a guy named Simon, and I would encourage you to read about Simon. But Simon was kind of a sorcerer. He liked the limelight, but he missed the whole point. His actions actually fooled the leadership, but the thing that didn't happen was, although he perhaps said he wanted to follow Jesus, or respond to the Messiah. He never received the Spirit. He even offered the disciples to pay for this kind of Spirit presence. The Scriptures never share if Simon repented, and I'm not so sure he did. But then, this adventure continues. Let's look 
at verse 26. Something shocking happens again. You keep opening this book, you keep reading down these scriptures, and almost every moment you're going like, whoa, this is cool. This is amazing. I did not see this coming. Verse 26, and I'm going to read through verse 30, just the first part. Now as for Philip, after all this stuff happened, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and he met the treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Klandak, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside that carriage. Philip ran over. Philip gets new orders. And the shocking part is, is that he was told again by God to go, to leave the revival. I want you to travel on this lonely desert road. I want you to just go. And the amazing thing is he went. He went. Who in their right mind would leave a thriving, fruitful ministry to travel and be totally inconvenienced, not even knowing why. But this is the kind of guy Philip was. Even when things didn't make sense, he listened. Now again, bear in mind that the angel didn't tell Philip why. And from a human perspective, this did not make sense. Not at all. But then we get to this little part about an Ethiopian eunuch. Like, what is all that about? This gets good. It, it does. L let me just say this. The ancient kingdom of Ethiopia is probably the area we would probably call Sudan today. All right? And this culture was very foreign and very different. You think at least the Samaritans had a little bit of an idea of at least Jewish culture and that, that Far East culture. This was really different. In fact, I'll say this, a more exotic person could hardly be imagined. And this person not only was exotic, but he was an important official and a eunuch. Now, without going into a whole lot of detail, castration would be a requirement in some Eastern civilizations if a man wanted to serve royalty, okay? These highly trusted men were called eunuchs for the most part. And they were given elevated positions of authority, mostly because the kings could trust them. Now, the man in our story was a treasurer. He was the one in charge of the whole country's finances. And what Philip was told is this, I want you to go. I want you to walk beside the carriage. He went, actually the scripture says he ran. He ran. 
God foreordained all this. God predestined this. And I'm not sure, again, if you could kind of picture, but this is kind of a royal caravan. So this guy, the important one, sitting in the carriage, he's got a bunch of other servants around him, and Philip is told, go up, run up to the chariot. Like, really? Who, who am I? What happened if this guy takes a sword out and just chops my head off? I'm a foreigner. But he does it. Look what happens. Verse 30. The last part of verse 30. And he heard a man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? So Philip's not only walking along, but Philip's listening. Now Philip's entering in. What's going on here? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip, this foreign guy walking along just shows up in the middle of a desert. I added that, okay? To come up into the carriage and sit with him. They are now best buddies. Well, this is weird. This is weird. The passage of Scripture that he had been reading, this is so good. He was led like a sheep to slaughter. As a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Oh my. Philip heard what he was reading. He was so familiar with that text, and and actually many of you are too. But Philip was invited to join the official in the carriage, And he was reading from Isaiah 53. Philip's up in the carriage. Look at verse 34. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Verse 35. So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. (laughs) Philip knew where he was reading. He was familiar with the scriptures. He was exceptionally familiar with Isaiah 53. You know what I'd like to do? I'd like to read for you some parts of Isaiah 53. And put in this context, here is an official. He is returning from Jerusalem after worshiping. He has some concept of the Hebrew God. He is reading the scriptures. And in those days, again, he's in a carriage, people are around him, he's reading out loud. This guy, Philip, comes. He's just listening to God. That's all he's doing. He's just listening to God's prompting. And wouldn't you know it? Isaiah 53. Let me start reading at verse 3 of Isaiah 53 and put this into context. All right? This is just what the Ethiopian was reading. And, of course, you heard the question, but here it is. 
Isaiah 53, 3. He was despised and rejected. Just remember, all this stuff was written hundreds of years, of course, before the Messiah. They all heard the story of what happened in Jerusalem, the crucifixion and the resurrection. So here the prophet is talking about just a secret, Jesus. But let me keep reading. All right. Verse 3. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him. And he looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Now here's the part he was reading out loud that Philip just came up on. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut down in midstream. But he was cut down, struck down, for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong, and he had never deceived anyone. He was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. Can you believe it? Put that into context. Reading just Isaiah's prophecy about the Messiah. It was like giving you a perfect lob and for you taking a swing. Oh God, you did an amazing thing here. And let me, if I could, summarize just verses 36 through 40. But this official hears this. This official then desires to be baptized. Now, Philip knew you don't get baptized until you come to faith, and we don't exactly know the exact timing or the words. But he saw it. He responded to the word of God. He understood it completely. Oh, wow. God is making another statement. All are welcome. The kingdom is here. It's here, the kingdom. Unbelievable. You can go into some Old Testament teachings, but what's really cool here, even though the eunuch had gone down to Jerusalem in order to worship, the eunuch, because of his deformity, was not even allowed to go into the fellowship. And what God is saying is this, in this chapter, I want you to know that anyone who has a deformity, 
Anyone who's a Samaritan, a despised Samaritan, I want you to know we are all welcome. And what happened? They saw a river. They stopped. They went down to get baptized. And when the men emerged from the water, the Holy Spirit snatched Peter, excuse me, Philip away. (laughs) The term here used is to carry something away by force. For reasons only known to the Holy Spirit, Philip disappeared from one place. And the scriptures tell us he ended up in a city called Azotus. It's a very famous, no, I don't know where that is. But up on the map, if you can kind of see, Azotus was literally 20 miles away. So he is baptizing the Ethiopian. He is coming up out of the water. And whoa! The next breath he takes is 20 miles away in Azotus. Like, what is going on here? And then the scriptures tell us that Peter preached in Azotus and every town on the way to Caesarea. You know what? You couldn't shut this guy up. Why? Because God was working in him. He was seeing transformed lives. There were miracles that were happening. He's walking in desert streets. No kidding. And the dude in the chariot is reading Isaiah 53. Tell me those odds. Yeah, God is working. He just goes up. Let me tell you about Jesus. Whoa, let's get baptized. Let's do it. Baptized, boom, he's gone. Oh, my word. God is teaching us so much from our text today. Maybe more than anything is how important it is to stay connected with God. How important it is to listen to God, to respond to God, no matter if what he says or prompts you. Sounds so weird. God, are you trying to change my paradigms? What about the neighbors I don't like? What about that guy at work? What about? What about? God, what? What are you doing in our lives? You came to save. You came to give hope. God uses people, dedicated men and women like you, who obey the Holy Spirit. There isn't one person in here that couldn't be a Philip. Not even one. And could you imagine what this next week looks like, what this next month looks like, as we just listen to the Spirit? It becomes an adventure. No one's forcing you, but Jesus is saying, oh, I want to change people's lives. Philip was a kind of evangelist who was willing to leave the public meeting with his excitement to help a soul find peace in a private place only that God could see and set up. He listened when it doesn't make sense. 
You know, I think Philip developed David's heart. I started memorizing two verses this week. It was Psalm 25, 4 and 5. And, and I think this was a prayer, David, but I think this was Philip's prayer. The psalmist wrote this, Show me the right path, O Lord. As when I get up today, Father, sh- show me the right path. Lord, as I'm driving, show me the right path. Lord, as I stop for a quick bite to eat, would you show me the right path? Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me. Oh, Lord, as I open up your word today, you're going to prompt me. You're going to convict me. You're going to do this, God. I know you're going to. For you are the God who saves me. And look at the last line. Look at that. All day long, I put my hope in you, Lord. Because I'm never going to know to go to that desert road. I'm never going to know that. I'm not. I'm never going to know when I'm going to influence some leaders to be bold so they might change their whole outlook and paradigm. What an amazing time in the early church. You see, the task is unfinished. It, it is. And sharing good news and making disciples is what God has given us to do. And the adventure continues next week in the book of Acts, but actually in every day, wherever God send you. So my encouragement, keep listening to God so that Christ might be magnified. Let's pray. Father, I I just can't help getting excited. This is so amazing. This is so unique. But God, this is so normal and natural. It is, God. You guide us. You direct us. God, forgive us for how busy we are. Forgive us for not getting into your word and, and, and being led by your truth. Forgive us of our schedules. Oh, God, give us your eyes. Thank you for the privilege of letting us magnify you wherever we go that people might be able to see how wonderful and gracious and amazing our God is. We thank you. We thank you. And pray these things in your son's name.